0: little bit about me, okay? I'm a comic in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for about 14 years, and I've wanted to do a podcast, but I didn't want to limit it to just comedy and comics in general. I wanted to do something different. And one of the things that I love talking about myself that I've always found fascinating is what people are afraid of. Because I have some weird things I'm afraid of, like I'm afraid of karaoke, And so I'm always fascinated to find out what other people are are afraid of from major phobias, just a little obscure fear. So I decided what I would do is I'm going to interview people and talk about something they're afraid of and record it and make it into a podcast. So every week I'll have a new guest with a new fear. But for my first episode, there was only one choice. My best friend, David Jessup, he's a comic as well here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. However, David's so much more. He doesn't just do stand-up. He does stand-up, improv, murder mystery theater, music, and he's an artist. He is also, in my eyes, probably the biggest fan of scary stuff I know. Like He always is at a sci-fi or any horror movie that comes out, he absolutely is there seeing it opening weekend. He dresses in all black and he's an amazing artist who designs this magnificent, creepy art that he sells on as a side hustle. He's like a super fan of scary, it's the best way to describe him. So, really, what could David Jessup be afraid of? In this episode, we will talk about how David became a fan of fear and how the pandemic has caused him constant worry and panic, so much so that he had to take a seven-day social media cleanse to try to get rid of some of that anxiety and fear. We also talk about his art and how he has used collage therapy to relieve stress and make this fantastic, creepy art. There is some comedy talk, I'm not going to lie, but that's what happens when you have two comics talking at the same time. So without further ado, here is my interview with David Jessup. We're here with my best friend, David Jessup. Hello. You're my first guest on this entire endeavor. So you want to start this off with how we met.
1: Yeah, first time I met you, man, you were hosting an open mic at the old hyena's location in Arlington, I went up and I was awful. My r- jokes were racist and sexist. I thought it was going to be super easy, and it wasn't. And I got off stage and I asked you if he had any advice, and he told me to quit.
0: <laughs> Solid advice. I know that kind of sounds mean, but when you first start stand-up comedy, it sometimes can be the worst things you say just to try to get a laugh. Everybody that starts, they have this bravado that they yeah. can just talk about the the worst topics like i can talk about everything that my company would fire me for into this open mic
1: yeah
0: i still stand by the advice i originally gave you though i do stand by it
1: i should have taken it
0: glad you didn't because it's built up you're like my best friend in comedy you're who i go to if i ever have a comedic issue or any kind of life issue because you are a little bit old <laughs> you've had a life experience and you're a very good listener and able to translate and kind of be my conscience in a way. And I appreciate that.
1: Well thank you, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate your friendship over the years and the comedic guidance you've given me because Lord knows I needed it. Uh you starting out I I just thought it was going to be easy. I had no idea all the uh work that that was involved in it. And it's still still to this day this is hard.
0: Yes. That's an understatement to say it's hard. It's been an emotional journey for me because of where I came from and everything that was, I felt was on the line. There was this desperation to try and make this be something more. And I just, as I got older, I got more of a Zen-like approach to it. And that's really what changed because my first few years, it was, there was a hunger and a desperation to make this some kind of career. And that just never yeah. happened, at least full time. I'm lucky that I was able to sustain something this whole time, but that's enough comedy talk for now. Now to talk about why I brought you here. So the reason I wanted you as my first guest is because even looking around your room right now at all the it posters and the mannequins and the spider legs and the scorpion tails, dolls, doll eyes, but you are like I would say like super fan of fear. Every horror movie you have probably seen and have a critique about you either really like or you're really disappointed because it doesn't scare you. And so I want to know why you are the biggest fan of fear that I know.
1: I grew up Catholic and my parents were super hardcore and they made us watch the movie The Exorcist like it was a documentary. So growing up, I thought all that shit was real. And I also used to have night terrors uh, growing up. And I used to think that that was, I was getting possessed by demons. And then come to find out, no, night terrors is very natural. It happens to a lot of people, has nothing to do with demons. And come to find out the devil isn't real. It's all bullshit. Then I just, I fell in love with it for that reason. I love it. I love horror, but I find it entertaining. I don't, I don't find it scary um, at all. But I love, I love that rush of being scared. I love that rush of, of, uh, of a good horror movie. The problem is there's not that many. Out there. That's for sure.
0: So, when you were having the night terrors, did it make you think you were getting possessed because your parents were throwing holy water on you?
1: <laughs> you know, I kept it to myself, man, because it was happening when I was a teenager and I thought for sure I was possessed. Yeah, I thought that I, parents were going to perform an exorcism on me. They just showed me the movie. I know how it ends. It doesn't, there's not a happy ending to this. So, no, I just kept it to myself for you. I mean, that crap went on until I was in my, my late 20s and then it wasn't until the invention of the internet that I was just. Messing around one day and looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, it's your brain. You're sleeping, and your body wakes up, but your or your brain wakes up, but your body's still asleep." So,
0: yeah, thanks, mom and dad. So they never even knew that what was happening.
1: Yeah. Kept that shit to myself.
0: And so from there, you joined a band. Now your bands weren't mostly a cult, but you did like do hard rock, correct?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. we were we we're very heavy, heavy rock, heavy metal. Three bands over 20 years. I did that. That was fun. Uh, A lot of, I have tinnitus in my ears. That sucks. Had to have a couple neck surgeries from playing. That sucks. But uh, it was a blast. I'm surprised I survived it. I'm surprised most of my bandmates are, I think only one of my bandmates is dead. Everyone else is still alive, which is shocking, which goes to show you how resilient the human body can be.
0: Sometimes it can't be cured by rock and roll. (laughs) You obviously enjoyed doing band for 20 years, but do you have any like special memories?
1: Uh, yeah. When we we opened up for the Toadies at the Ridgely Theater in Fort Worth, it was like 3,000 kids. It was like the, the one time in my 20 years of being a musician that I felt like a legitimate rock star. It was crazy. It was so good. That was like my favorite memory. My worst memory is actually the last time I ever performed. Uh, we opened up for a Toadies cover band. So
0: <laughs> how, how how far you fallen?
1: Yeah, it was uh, at the Green Elephant on Lower Greenville. And it was so bad. I remember like they had more fans than us. <laughs> and I was like, though well, this is obviously like I was in my 30s. And I was like, this is obviously a sign that it's time to, to quit rock and roll. And I'll never forget the name of the band. The lead singer would come out and he would go, "I right, ladies and gentlemen, we are DFW's best Toadies cover band. Like there was more than one Toadies cover band out there, so they had to separate themselves. They were called they were called Possum Kingdom, by the way.
0: Oh. Don't be fooled by cheap imitation Toadie cover bands.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember thinking to myself, like, guys, they're from here. You know, we don't need a cover band. They they perform here a
0: lot. It's just funny that you both your memories involve the Toadies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The the highlight and the low light both involve the Toadies somewhat.
0: Did you tell them, like, you sound nothing like the real band? You're like, I opened for them at (laughs) Ridgely. Is that how you got the gig? I didn't say
1: shit, did it? I got about through two songs and loaded up my equipment and left. And and I knew right then, I knew, I was like, this is the last time I'm ever going to perform live as a musician. Like, I just knew it was over. And then I got into comedy. Actually, I I had just started doing, I was doing both at the time. But that's when I I was like, I'm just going to focus all my energy on comedy.
0: And that's... When you said goodbye to Damus and the rest of your bandmates. Yeah. (laughs) What you've always said is the best part of comedy is you don't have to load up a guitar, your sound.
1: Yep. Uh, I did a show in uh, Hyenas when they had it at the the old room downstairs and it was next to that rock club Randy had. I was leaving the same time the band was unloading. And Mm -hmm. just seeing them just laboring with the giant amplifier and the equipment. And I just, you don't have to bring anything as a comic. You just bring your brain and that's it.
0: Bring your brain and the desire to drink.
1: <laughs>
0: you can just see that bands never have like good like equipment to carry stuff. There's I don't understand why outside of roadies, like no one has like no one's built like a steam trunk that can basically go upstairs.
1: Oh, and it's just such a nightmare because you end you get done performing around two in the morning. You gotta load your your truck or your car with your equipment. Then you have to drive back to your uh, practice place, wherever that is unload there then get home i would i wouldn't get home till three o'clock four o'clock in the morning sometimes depending on what the gig was and then whatever you get paid you're splitting that with three other people
0: three other people that just unloaded maybe more equipment than you because yeah drummers got it the worst like no one you're not going to help each other you everybody has their uh, own equipment
1: oh the lead singer had it best man the lead singer was like the comic of the band he would just be like i'm out
0: it was like a little flute case of a mic and then (laughs) <laughs> did y'all have like roadies did y'all have fans that would no. just follow you no you know nope.
1: we had it was funny because we had a we had a fan our number one fan in my last band was the drummer's grandmother oh <laughs> and she would she would come out to the show and dance with her like boyfriend she just found and i was like uh no what are you doing
0: that's how that's how old the Toadies are now, probably, is like, now they'll be yeah. seniors. <laughs> if you open for the Toadies again, it'll just be seniors.
1: Well, that's, I always thought about how funny it's going to be, like, in old folks' homes when we're, like, in our 80s, all these people tatted up, you know, talking about how they went to see uh, the the tool and uh, Rage Against the Machine.
0: Another thing you do for your fandom is you do a lot of creepy art, as you've kind of splayed here during the during the interview. And we'll get some of those up on our Instagram page, as well as link to your site and Instagram as well. How did you get into doing this amazingly creative toy story, Sid kind of creepy art?
1: A buddy of mine, JD white was murdered still unsolved to this day. So, you know, down by fair park and uh, we're cleaning up his, I was cleaning up his apartment and I had a whole bunch of broken toys and action figures. And so I just, took everything home. And then I had a mental breakdown and my therapist told me about collage therapy where you take small things and put them back together again, kind of keeps you focused. And uh, so I started doing that with the creepy dolls and the action figures and making these little things. And uh, I loved it. It was great. It was very cathartic. I don't even know if that's the right word to use, but it sounds like it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it just, it helped out. It helped out my anxiety and it helped out going through that. It was the first time in my life. I realized that bad things happen to good people. And sometimes bad people get away with shit. And so, you know, doing that for a few years, I decided to take it to a gallery and the uh, owner of the gallery over at Artisans Collective, which has closed now because of the gentrification of Bishop Arts. It's a whole nother story. But uh, Ted Matthews was great. He loved my stuff and he told me to work on it more, make it look dirtier, you know, just make it make it look more worn and try to make it so all the pieces blend together. Because everything I'm using is separate. So I I took about a year to develop the technique I've been using now. I've been using that for about 10 years now, and (laughs) I've been selling this stuff ever since. And now uh, all my work can be seen at Curious Garden and Curiosities, uh, Lakewood and uh, White Rock Lake, and then on Instagram and uh, Facebook. So, yeah, it's been it's been cool, man.
0: So when you were cleaning up your friend's apartment and they had all these doll pieces, was he doing a similar kind of art to that?
1: No, he just had broken shit everywhere. And so I just kind of collected everything.
0: It was just the interesting thing is like maybe you I didn't know if you had maybe took on the the same thing. Well he was he
1: wasn't he was also an artist, but uh like he did that the giant dinosaur mm-hmm. down in Fair Park, that was his. So he just had just tons of stuff everywhere. We were very much alike. We were uh both both of our favorite movie is Alien. Yeah, it was, man, it was, I would definitely say he was my best friend I've ever had. And so that that was a, that was a shit-tastic time. Yeah. Like, 2020 is giving it a run for its money. Like, it's getting really close.
0: Well, I apologize, and I know bad things happen to good people, but with any luck, the person that perpetrated that may have been picked up for something else, so hopefully he didn't get away scot-free, is... Yeah, Uh-oh.
1: well, apparently, um, like, the person that we think it is, he's actually he is actually in jail. He's not in jail for murder, but he is in jail, so. But, yeah, we're pretty sure we know who it is. It was it just J.D.'s body was in the sun for two weeks, and so oh. it was decomposed so badly out there by Trinity River that they really couldn't. They never found, they never gave him a reason why he died. They could not figure out, like, was he strangled? Was he beaten? Because it was just, the body was so was so bad, so it was just they couldn't really they couldn't say he was murdered.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow, I deeply sigh for that. I'm glad that something good has come of it, though, with the therapy as well as it turning into kind of a a nice side hustle, if you will.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It definitely keeps the spirit of him alive. That's for sure.
0: And so, since we're talking about fear. And my podcast is basically us focusing on one fear that you have and just kind of talking through it. What fear is it you want to talk about, Dave?
1: I want to talk about the fear that is crippling me right now, which is the fear of COVID-19. My wife is a school teacher, and there is a large part of this country that wants to force her to go back to school. And that would put her at risk. That would put me at risk.
0: Even your family. Every day.
1: I, ha- I I still have to go to work. I go to work every day you know, during the week. I work at a law firm, my day job. Mm-hmm. And luckily, there's not a lot of people there, but I'm still in contact with people. Yeah. So it's just a constant, constant fear. And we're, Texas is so bad right now. And it didn't have to be if people would have just stayed home and worn masks. But it's just, it's just maddening, man. It's just insane. Yeah. And every day you hear, more stuff about it, the, the the side effects, and even if you survive, and even if you don't die or end up in the hospital, you still have these lifelong debilitating side effects. So, yeah, that's the fear that is engulfing me right now, and it's pretty. It's been like this pit of anxiety in my stomach ever since the shutdown first started back in March. Yeah, and so I'm just trying to calm down and not worry about it, but it's hard not to worry about it when it's constantly in your face and you have to be aware of it. Yeah. You know, you just can't go out and be like, well, I guess I'm not going to wear a mask today and I'm not going to care. Yeah. You know, you have to be aware of it. And then to go out in public and see people not wearing masks. is just, it's infuriating. And at the same time, it's like, it's, you could get me sick.
0: Yeah. I get it too. And then it's the overwhelming coverage and the overwhelming opinions of whether it's this or that it's a hoax or, and in my mind, yeah. if everybody else is doing it, I'm gonna do the same thing because I just don't believe in my heart of hearts that the world as a whole has conspired <laughs> exactly. to to make everybody just sit at home and not work. I don't think everybody wants to make money.
1: Yeah. There's no point in that. Well, it's like someone said the other day, they're like, they think uh that what the democratic uh billionaire who likes to donate a lot of money, George Soros. Yeah. He he did it. He he invented the the coronavirus. I'm like, why would he invent it? It's costing it's, him money disproportionately. It's killing, and it's killing minorities more than it's killing white people. Why would he? Why would he do that? Yeah. You know, it's it just doesn't make any sense. And that's the thing is, man, you just can't, you can't argue with people. If if the people out there that believe it's a hoax, there's nothing you can do. No matter no matter how much their information or articles you send their way, that's the thing about the internet is they can find somebody else, another website somewhere that will. Say what they're saying is true.
0: Yeah, I hear that. I have asked another person that works for labs and stuff what they go to for their information. You know, go to the state, county before you go to the national. Yeah, it's it's scary. I've I did an antibody test and tested negative. I may test antibodies again. I just don't understand the idea of not wearing a mask and saying they're they're taking away your freedom. (laughs) and it
1: managed bobby frisky had the best sign the other day he made it it said no shoes no shirt no mask no service exactly you know if you didn't have a problem with the first two why should you have a problem with the third
0: yeah and just think of it as you know actually make you look like you went to medical school
1: (laughs) you're fulfilling
0: your parents dreams
1: it's not that big a deal, man. It just and you're all you're doing is you're making everybody safe. And the thing is, if you're not wearing a mask, you're making it harder on on us getting back to work.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm lucky enough that I'm working from home. So, how has it kind of changed your life since? Because has this been since March that you've kind of ramped up the panic, or has it been just?
1: No, it was. It's ever since. I'll. I'm. It's the. I mean, March fourteenth. Okay. It was a Saturday because it was right after uh, March 13th, Friday the 13th. I did a show at backdoor. And I just remember thinking, I was like, this is all about to end and everything stopped. My wife and I were doing for two and a half years. Every Saturday we do brewery tours up at uh legacy hall. And then we both do the murder mystery shows together. She does theater. I do stand up and we're pretty much every weekend we're, we're booked. We're performing every weekend. Yeah. And then, all of that just stopped just done completely done now luckily we both have day jobs but at the same time man that's a lot of money not coming in you know and i mean we're we're fine but it it, what was interesting about it was noticing how much money we blew going out because now that we're not going out (laughs) you know
0: you don't see the loss
1: yeah it's there it's so weird i mean i haven't I haven't had a haircut in three months. Lindsay just did my haircut yesterday. She cut my hair finally. I haven't had a haircut, haven't bought clothes, haven't gone to the movie theater. Like all this stuff we spent money on and it just stopped. But yeah, it's it's been this weird, weird thing where in our entire lives completely changed. And luckily, like I said, we still have jobs. So we're still, there's so many more other people out there that are way worse off than we are.
0: Yes, agreed. And hopefully they'll, we can say we'll get through this and everything will bounce back. Now, besides Lindsay, do others in close to you know, besides myself, know that you're afraid of COVID-19? and just oh, try to?
1: I'm sure anyone that reads my Facebook knows. <laughs> I'll pretty much let them know. Yeah, it's yeah. my parents know and my parents live in Florida and I worry about them because, you know, you think Texas is bad. Just look at the numbers in Florida. They're way worse than we
0: are. Well, they're what ninety percent beach in Florida. Florida is like ninety percent beachfront property, so everybody just nobody has regard. They they have to go swim with the dolphins or whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man.
0: I just don't get that whole idea. It's like why still going out? Like, I just don't understand why you think you're invincible.
1: Exactly. Well, I I think the problem is is that until you get it. Or until somebody close to you gets it and gets it mm-hmm. bad. I don't mean like yep. the people that get it and just have a sniffle. I mean until it throws you into the hospital or does the same thing to somebody close to you. People just don't view it as a threat, you know? They just think it's not gonna happen to me. Yeah. What was that guy in, in San Antonio who went to an actual COVID party and uh ended up dying, but his last words were Uh, I think I made a mistake. I thought this was a hoax. (laughs) And then he died.
0: Famous last words. Yeah. Or infamous.
1: Yeah.
0: I just listened to people smarter than me telling me that I should be wearing a mask. And so I've got some, I got some washable ones and I have some paper ones in case.
1: Oh man, I just ordered uh, the two masks from this guy. I, I saw Larry Garza, the comic in San Antonio. He had it. But it's like a legit uh, Jason Voorhees mask, but it's the mm-hmm. bottom section, so it just goes over your mouth.
0: Yeah. But it looks really cool. They also have one of that for uh, the Tiger King as uh. well. like, <laughs> It just has the the Fu Manchu at <laughs> his bottom.
1: It's so awesome.
0: Are people treating you different? Like, do your parents not bring it up?
1: I mean, my, my, my parents are, they're cool. Uh, they just, it's frustrating because they they know it's serious. But you know they they're starting to, you know, older people, the internet's very dangerous for them because they can get tricked really easily. And so yeah. they're they're kind of going down the conspiracy rabbit hole. And it's just it's really hard trying to uh, steer them away from that, you know, because they see stuff on the internet and they don't research it. It, it kind of like a whole confirmation bias thing like that. yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's real, but
0: but it's something I want to believe. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. It's and- on the internet. It must be true.
1: Yeah, it's on the internet. I got it off this really this really cool site called InfoWars, so it must yeah. be true.
0: Well, people equate that to the newspaper. And yeah. so at that age, they equate that to being the news. And so anything out there, they think, well, clearly they've passed it through some editor and that's yeah. com- they've done all of the work for me. I mean, if, me.
1: It, if it wasn't true, it wouldn't be on the internet. I mean, that's the thing about, I mean, the internet, we... There are people that believe the earth is flat because of the internet, because they can go to a YouTube channel and watch videos saying the earth is flat. This didn't used to be a problem 20 years ago. We did not have a huge swath of our fellow citizens believing the earth was flat. But thanks to the internet and the fact that you can post anything on there, voila, we have flat earthers now.
0: And what a joy they are to talk to. (laughs) What a treat. Well, the old, the door girl at the end of hyenas at Plano, she believed the earth was flat and me and Jason Russell were like, they have clouds and stuff. Like, how does that?
1: <laughs> Look, it, it's, it, uh, and that's the thing, man. You can't, you know, I, I, I want, I went on a, uh, a Facebook cleanse last week and one of the things I realized that was kind of like, I was getting into a cycle, I was getting into a cycle of fighting people on Facebook. arguing, And the two things I would argue about were politics and COVID. And what I realized was no matter how much I fight with them, no matter how many facts I can throw at them, it doesn't matter because they have their alternative facts in their back pocket that they can throw back at me. And nobody has ever changed their core beliefs, which are, you know, religious beliefs, belief in COVID-19 conspiracy theories no one's ever changed how they feel because somebody left a meme in their comment section so I just realization that was absolutely I mean because you've never had someone be like hey guys I am pro-life but you just sent a meme on a comment of a post I made and now I'm pro-choice it doesn't have to change their minds so what is the point in arguing there there
0: I just don't understand why people have to comment and the disbelief with you yeah like why not just what happened to being the silent detractor you know if you have nothing nice to say don't say anything at all why do you feel so compelled to to tell me that if you know you could you could just keep your mouth shut
1: especially when it's when it's dangerous misinformation like coronavirus you know that that and that's what infuriated me it's like i'm i'm sorry i can't I can't deal with you if you're spreading disinformation that's going to potentially get me or my wife sick and die because what you're spreading out there is bullshit.
0: Yeah. To me, I'm always like, I'll oh, be quiet. I couldn't be quiet today because I posted something about a mask showing your relationship status. Oh,
1: that was funny. I like that. That was good.
0: And then Mickey Carmine's like, I I need to have, I'm frugal. I, I go away. I'm frugal. I'm like, Oh, you're frugal, are you? Is that what's holding you back from all the ladies? You're you're frugal. And and so when he said that, I was like, you "Hear that sound? That's the collective sigh of women everywhere just so bummed out that they can't have Mickey Carmine." Oh, Mickey. Oh. I was so I was like, "Really? That's what it is? <laughs> you just you can't spend money on on a lady, it's not anything else." Okay. Yeah. So hard to be you. Yeah. So you talk about collage therapy as uh, uh, and your social media cleanse. So, give us a little bit more on collage therapy as far as since we're in now and the how do you manage your kind of anxiety about this?
1: So the idea behind it is to to really start with pictures. So you take a magazine, mm-hmm. a magazine you don't care about, so you tear it apart, and you just start cutting out pictures. And you usually are doing something very small. The reason why that is is because. The smaller it is, the more you have to focus so you don't cut your finger off. And you just cut out these things that you find interesting. I I did a piece where it's all eyeballs. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just went through magazines and cut out eyeballs and then pasted them over a mannequin head. But the idea is that it just, first of all, it gets you off of whatever is is causing you anxiety at that moment. And it makes you focus. And it makes you focus. And it makes you, and it also puts you on a path to uh, a completion. You're doing something and eventually this is going to be completed. So mostly when you do collage therapy, you're just going to do like a picture and you just put the stuff together. But I like doing it in a 3D environment. So I liked doing it to where it was actually on a mannequin. If you look right behind me, right there, that's a a torso mannequin that's covered in all of it's completely covered in eyeballs uh, from magazines.
0: Wow. That's such a fascinating way, like everybody, like you're saying, it's mostly a two-dimensional thing that they have you do, but you took it to the next level and made it three-dimensional to kind of give yourself either just something that either was more challenging or longer to take.
1: I mean, and that's the thing, I think you just hit, let me, let me get it for you real quick, because the, the key right there was when you said longer to take, and that, so if you imagine. Look how small the eyeballs are! Yeah, every single one of those was cut out of a magazine and then mod podged on to cover Mm -hmm. the
0: entire mannequin. So
1: it took—I'd say this one, this piece right here, took about four months.
0: And so I think you, to me, it just almost feels like you just enjoyed that that therapy, that release so much that you just you didn't want the project to be complete right away.
1: Yeah. And it, like I said, it, like you you said, it moved on, it, it morphed and it changed into, started with that. And then it went into the having the different action figure parts from my friend's house. And then really it was just messing around. I was, there was never like a plan, like I'm going to become a kit bash artist. That's where you take things from different models and put them back together. It just kind of evolved and just turned into mm-hmm. that. Now I have a, a giant room. It's our guest room. which just if you look right behind me, those yes. are all little uh, cabinet things, just filled with bo- baby doll parts and action figures I've collected over the years.
0: Your apothecary chest of, of <laughs> yeah, and your nephew does this too.
1: Yeah, yeah, he came over and uh, he actually, yeah, he actually started doing it. He loved it. It's fun. It's a it's a fun, neat little neat little thing. You just take something that and you make something that is just. I'm not making molds. I'm not that creative. I have some molds but I'm not, like, doing things original. It's just all fine. And that's part of the fun is finding things, like going to thrift stores, which is something I miss mm-hmm. because of the uh, coronavirus. I miss going to thrift stores and looking through their junk. and But I like taking um, old picture frames. I just sold one and, and put, them, mm-hmm. put them in there. So,
0: yeah. Do you still have, like, JD's original action figures here, or did you sell them, or have those been sold with other pieces?
1: I have one that actually a friend of mine has he was supposed to he does a friend of mine at work does vr games he designs mm-hmm. vr games and he was supposed to take it and turn it into a vr game and he never has
0: and i okay. i
1: have to i have to call him and be like hey man i need to get that doll back but he has one
0: because i was thinking you know like i didn't know if those still were in like kind of your collection if you will most of most of all sold. I, I
1: have one. It was actually one of my originals I've uh, ever made. And the idea was never to sell it. But I, I thought it would be really cool to have it as a VR in a VR game.
0: That would be...
1: Yeah, it would be super creepy.
0: You also do stop-motion films as well, correct?
1: Yes. Yes, I do.
0: That's kind of collage therapy video-wise, oh, too. Oh,
1: totally, man. That is so... You talk about being focused and kind of like a meditation, man, that is hardcore meditation right there.
0: Yeah, we'll do another, maybe do a video on that, just how you do stop motion. Also, you talked about your social media cleanse for seven days. How did you feel going from day one to day seven?
1: So uh, it's funny because my wife, when I first told her I was doing it, she's like, you're not going to last seven minutes. <laughs> wow. And I was and Confidence. I was like, yeah. And I was so cocky. I was like, Psh. I was like, I quit cocaine. Okay. I can quit social media. <laughs> and I tell you what, man, those first couple of hours was tough. Like you don't realize how addicted you are to your phone until you can't look at it. You know, you you don't realize how addicted you are to Facebook until you can't check a status update. And it was so, it was scary seeing how I was constantly going towards it. And then mm-hmm. I read this really good, um, or read I watched this really good uh, YouTube video about trying to, you know, break habits of um, trying to break your dopamine addictions from being negative things to doing positive things. And, and the problem is, video games, uh, social media, that all releases dopamine very easily. Doing drugs, cocaine, but doing something like reading a book or working on a project or working out, eating healthy—that stuff takes a lot more effort and you don't get dopamine released quickly. And so that's why it's just so much easier to go to Facebook. And so, yeah, those first couple of days were hard, but by day four, it was, I felt so much better because I was also, I was also cleansing myself from uh, news. I wasn't watching news for a week. And so those two things together, I realized just how toxic they were for me. So afterwards, I decided to put uh, guardrails on my social media use. So I'll do one to two posts a day, nothing more than that. I won't engage people in arguing about politics or COVID-19. Stay away (laughs) from that. And then I usually don't read other people's posts. I'll just do mine. I'll engage people that comment on it. And that's pretty much it. Because I find myself, if I look at other people's posts, I'll get angry either at what they're posting or at what their friends are commenting on that. Yes. You know, like what you said. If you move in that post and someone did something stupid and wrote something idiotic about it, I would immediately want to jump in and defend you and argue with them. So yeah. Doing that has has really, really helped as far as my anxiety and my addiction to social media. Which and that's that's exactly what it is. It's it's an addiction for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad that that's kind of gotten you into a better place, and hopefully it continues. And eventually, we'll we'll get to a tipping point with this where you know we get back to a better place in society as well. Because I feel like cabin fever definitely doesn't help the social media and comments and arguments and everything else. Because either somebody's lose you know lost a job, lost your loved ones. Just there's so much loss. Yeah. social media and there's just so much you can't do
1: it just feels like it, it feels like we are sitting on a powder keg and that we're about to explode i was driving home and i saw this lady screaming at another guy at a fried chicken stand just screaming at each other just yelling throwing throwing the chicken at each other and i'm like it just feels like this we're on this powder keg and there's, there's so much tension um, what was it just we're losing uh, unemployment insurance is going to be running out for people you know uh, starting yeah. next week and so it just feels like it's just going to get worse and worse and no matter who wins in november half the country is going to be pissed off and angry
0: well hopefully like i said we can all get kind of back to somewhat of a work and i have loved ones that were been out of a job since this all started and you know want to change their life and kind of feel like they can't because no one's no one's looking to hire them yeah no one's looking to, to hire anybody
1: and people that do have jobs are laying
0: people off and i they like said i've been very fortunate uh caught my blessings and i just you know try to because i don't want to upset the job either by saying you know hey you told me to stay home but i went out to the soap and mike <laughs> and <I had> COVID. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Now I've got to take two weeks off. You can't get your equipment out of my house now because God knows if it's contaminated or not because we don't know. (laughs) My job is talking like we may not go back until sometime in 2021.
1: What, like in person?
0: Yeah. And even then, like I said, they're rearranging the cubes so everybody's social distanced and, you know, where are we all going to fit because now that's you were stuffing us in, you know, one, two, two, four, six, eight per row. So we had, so you had eight, you had eight people like back to back. Now you can't do that. Yeah. So now you've got to double your floor space and will we all fit? <laughs> and so that's, that's been the whole, you know, how are they going to screen, you know, temperature checks? How long is that going to take to get from the parking lot to your office? Because yeah. you can't. They can't just let you walk in like they used to. Now you've got to take your temperature. What if you go out to lunch and come back?
1: Yeah, you then get you, sick there.
0: Yeah, and then you have a fever. Then you got to go home. From there, like what if you leave and come back and somehow, in that little snippet, the virus kicks in and now you're sick. Yep. What happens to the rest of your coworkers? Now that you've been found.
1: Until until we get a vaccine, man, there's just we're screwed. There's really nothing you can do people are going to continue to get sick and it just just puts us in a holding pattern.
0: Yeah. Hopefully can find some way to work and the people like I said there's things that work from home and other maybe new technologies and new things that come to the forefront that need manpower and they all can to work together. Well Dave, I thank you for doing this. It's been a treat talking to you. Where can people find you on social media?
1: Uh, please go to my Instagram at Children of Dave, and on Facebook, please go to Stop Motion Nightmares to see my creepy stop motion videos.
0: Also, what was the White Rock Lake, the Curiosities? Is that what the- Oh
1: yeah, if you want to see my artwork in person, go to Curiosities in Lakewood and Curious Garden by White Rock Lake.
0: Now, he also got you into a art festival, correct?
1: Yeah, the uh, auditives and Curiosities Festival, that will be in Dallas in March of 2021. This year, of course, got canceled.
0: That's an art festival where it's basically people, like-minded people that have creepy art gather and either sell or trade their wares.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Last year, we had 9,000 people come through the door.
0: So go check that out when it comes back around in March. I'm sure, a lot more people will as everybody will be itching to go out. Like, especially if it's been that long. Yep. I thank you again, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you soon. You got it, man. Bye. Well, that was my first interview episode ever. And one thing you can really tell with this pandemic is how antsy and how, how much we've kind of Gotten away from human conversation. Like, we were so excited just to try to do this and to get it done and to just get our feelings out. We were just blah, blah, just panicked a little bit. And so it definitely has taken its toll. I really resonate with this fear. I don't get it to that extreme because at some point you've got to accept fate. And if you get sick, I'll just do my best if that ever happens. But I try to wear a mask. I mean, the unknown of this fear, I mean, if you just really sat and thought about it, could just be almost debilitating by any means. Because anybody that walks by could be a, a carrier. And just knowing that it can be asymptomatic and that no one may have symptoms but could also pass it on to you, which then you get symptoms and then you get sick and really sick. Or just just all the different unknowns can really weigh on your mind david has had a strict no visitor policy and he's not going to perform again until we have a vaccine and we don't know when that's going to be so that's also a little nervous and upsetting to know is that maybe you you could be not performing for a long time if not ever because of a Illness that just came out of nowhere and took this country and the world basically by storm. Now, here's some things I'm going to do. I was very intrigued by the collage therapy idea and just how it gives you focus. And so, to kind of ease my own kind of cabin fever anxiety, I'll I'll take that on. I'll do a project of collage therapy of my own choice. It's not going to be creepy art. I'm not going to just jump on that bandwagon. But I'll do something as far as collage therapy just t- to kind of go through the motions and see how that mentally makes things, you know, go for me. So you can check that out on my Instagram at some of all fears podcast. Also, if you are in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you do want to check out some really cool art and unique like pieces. Definitely check out curiosities. Their website is getcuriosities.com. It's getcuriosities dot com, and that's you can get locations for both Curious Curiosity is the main one or Curious Gardens. Also, check out Children of Dave on Instagram. He his art is just fantastic. I can't say enough about it. It also has some tributes to J D White as well on his site. Follow him on Instagram. Check him out on Facebook. His uh, stop motion nightmares. I mean, Dave is wildly creative, and to use it in such creative endeavors is just impressive. Also, comedy is starting back up here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. If you want to see my comedy, catch me at Hyenas Dallas this coming weekend, the September 11th and 12th. And also, you can catch me in Hyenas Fort Worth on the 17th, 18th, and 19th as we start to reopen comedy clubs here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. All right, some credits and thank yous for people that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater, who does all my graphic design work. You can follow him on Instagram at white W-H-I-T-E, H-2-O, the letter. On Instagram, that's Barry Whitewater, get it, H-2-O. He's an amazing comic and graphic artist, so check him out. Also, music. A big thanks to Gunnar Olsen, who provides the music for this podcast. You can check out his website, GunnarOlsen.net. Check out all his music. He's got some great EPs. Also, you can follow him on Instagram at GunBuns. I love his coast-to-coast jam sessions with other musicians. It's really cool to listen. If you want to follow me on social media, my social media is at Ryan Perrio. It's R-Y-A-N-P-E-R-R-I-O. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I implore you to follow the show on instagram and twitter at some Fear Fans, s-o-m-e-f-e-a-r-f-a-n-s you can also check out our website someofallfears.com leave us a review if you would like on itunes if you want suggestions for the show you can leave them on the reviews or you can email me directly or if you want to be a guest shoot me an email at some at gmail.com that's going to do it for this week Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.